Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing, the show where busy people like you learn how to build substantial passive income while creating wealth for the long term. And now, here's your host, Marco Santarelli. Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Marco Santarelli. You know, today's episode is a little different than most. I was talking to a colleague of mine, Paul Moore, and we got talking about random things. He's an interesting character. So today's episode is going to be somewhat eclectic because we're touching on different things from human trafficking to mentorship to whatever. And one thing is interesting. I break real estate investing into two general categories, and that's passive, obviously, and active. And you know, I differentiate the two, active being hands-on, more involved, taking on a little more risk, hopefully getting a little more reward, but just being more actively involved in it. And passive being an investment that you make that generates income and cash flow and it doesn't really require any active involvement. It doesn't mean you're not engaged. There is engagement, but you more or less sit back and get the checks in the mail, as they say. But Paul broke the passive real estate investing model down into three subcategories, if you will. And I don't want to steal his thunder. We didn't talk about it for you know a long time, but enough to basically say, look, there are different paths to take down the passive real estate investing road. And so I am going to just let the uh, conversation unfold and uh, we'll just see where it goes. Anyway, if you have a question about real estate investing, don't forget you can submit that to me. Just click Ask Marco at the top of the PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com website. And if you are in the market or looking to invest in real estate or even thinking about it, just remember my team is here to help you. We offer free strategy sessions. That's right. They are free. We will spend as much as an hour or more if necessary in working with you to help you clarify your goals and take you to the next level. So even if you're starting or whether you have 50 units or 20 or 100 or whatever the case may be, if you're looking to grow that portfolio and do more with what you have, let's explore the possibilities. There may not be a good fit, but you won't know until you take that next step. So don't forget about the strategy sessions. Other than that, download our free report, The Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing. It's been downloaded tens of thousands of times, so it is a fantastic primer. And last but not least, if you haven't done so already, remember to subscribe, whether it's on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, SoundCloud. By all means, just get these weekly episodes automatically, so just remember to subscribe. And that's it for me, so let's get to our interview here with Paul Moore. All right. It's my pleasure to welcome Paul Moore to the show. Paul is the managing partner of Wellings Capital, a commercial real estate investment firm based in Lynchburg, Virginia. Paul was a finalist for the Ernst & Young Michigan Entrepreneur of the Year two years straight. He later entered the real estate sector where he flipped over 50 homes and 25 high-end waterfront lots, appeared on HGTV's House Hunters, rehabbed and managed rental properties, and started two successful online real estate marketing firms. Paul is also the author of the book, The Perfect Investment. Paul, welcome to the show. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on, Marco. Well, I'm excited to have you on. You've got quite the background, a lot of experience. You have this interesting rags to riches story that I want to ask you about in a minute. But before we get to that question, I just want you to take a minute and tell our audience a little bit more about yourself because you have a great background. Well, it's, you know, it's crazy. I wish I wasn't a serial entrepreneur. I used to be proud of that. I wanted to put it on my business card. 
But you know what I've found, Marco? The most successful people actually focused on one thing, like Bill Gates as a teenager, and stayed on that and ignored a lot of the, you know, the side streets that people go down, the distractions, the multi-level deals on the side and all that. And so, you know, I wanted to be a parapsychologist in high school, which is a ghostbuster. Then I found out they didn't have that in college, not even in California. And so I became a petroleum engineer, which was my first mistake. Then I got an MBA, went to Ford Motor Company, which was a great five-year run. And then I became an entrepreneur, sold my company to a publicly traded firm. Then I got involved in real estate investing for the last couple of decades. And so it's been a lot of fun and it's been a lot of ups and a lot of downs. So glad to be where I am now though. Yeah, for sure. That's very interesting. So I was reading on your website and learning a little bit more about you. You're going to have to fill in the blanks here, but you went from having one and a half million dollars in the bank to going to two and a half million dollars in debt and then back again. And you did that in 13 months. And so when you first read that, it just sounds like a rags to riches story. So tell me what that means and how did you actually accomplish that? Because 13 months is a fast turnaround. Well, the crazy thing about it was it happened right in the very heart of the Great Recession. So I had a couple million dollars in the bank almost in 1997 when I sold my company. Ten years later, I found myself on the eve of the Great Recession. Of course, we had no idea what was about to happen. We could see it was getting really bad in late 2007, but I had $2.5 million in debt. Every bit of it was tied to real estate, which is one of the things I love about real estate, Marco. But my partner quit. He said, I can't pay half of this interest anymore. It's on you starting January 1st. And a couple friends of mine got together with me at a Hardee's, which is like Carl's Jr. restaurant and said, hey, so how are you going to avoid bankruptcy? And I said, oh, I've got a plan. I'm going to give my way out of debt. And I actually had this crazy idea that, you know, that the law of sowing and reaping or instant or karma, as people call it, almost quoted John Lennon there, was really true. And I really believed if we could give generously, something really good would happen. So we started January 1st, 2008, giving a large weekly amount of money to various charities we really loved. Four weeks later, I met a real estate developer and I told him about my story. I told him how this five-acre waterfront parcel was my Achilles heel. He said, well, you know, you could probably subdivide that. I said, no, I can't. Here's the reasons why. He said, well, think about this way. And like this light bulb went off. And I don't think he even knew what he had said that just triggered this amazing series of events. And so I went to the county planning and zoning board. I found a loophole, thanks to him, in the law. And I said, hey, I think I should be able to subdivide this into five one-acre lots. They were absolutely astonished. They said in all these decades of this law being on the books, nobody had ever used the law that way to actually do what the law was supposed to prohibit. And I went through with that and we sold four of these five expensive waterfront lots in the very heart of the recession, which was September to October of 2008. 13 months later, I was completely debt-free. Wow. Impressive. So did you come up with that idea or did the other guy come up with the idea? The other guy gave me an idea that triggered the whole thought process. And you know, if we had an extra half an hour, I could explain exactly how we did it. It's much more amazing than I'm even telling you. Let me put it this way. The full five acres, if you took all five one-acre lots, the combined total value was $1.35 I had to convince the first buyer and the bank 
to pay me $1.35 million for this property that, you know, that was worth as a five-acre tract only six hundred dollars or $700,000 at most. And I had to convince him to pay me one point three five, and then split it and then sell off the next piece, like, you know, sell it off in pieces that way. And I was able to convince a local bank to actually do this right in the Great Recession. It was amazing. Wow. What a great story. That's impressive. And you probably felt good about it walking away from the whole transaction and having learned a lot from it. Yeah. That's cool. So that might be a good segue to my why question. You know, a lot of us have a big why. And unfortunately, many more of us don't actually have an answer to the question of why do you do what you do and, you know, what is that big why? But why is it important for investors and entrepreneurs and executives to find their quote unquote big why? Well, I can tell you that when I sold my company just before my 34th birthday, I thought I didn't know anything about investing. I considered myself an investor. I was really a speculator. You know, investing is when your principal is generally safe and you can make a return. And it's speculating is when your principal's not at all safe and you've got a chance to make a return. I made a lot of mistakes investing in oil and gas wells, wireless internet companies, all kinds of dumb things that I shouldn't have done. They could have had a 10 or 100x return, but obviously they didn't, or I wouldn't be talking about them and I wouldn't have a podcast called How to Lose Money. But that's another story. At any rate, I found out when I retired that I wasn't really happy. I thought I was going to be super dad, super husband, really happy. And I wasn't really happy. I realized I needed a bigger why. And so I can tell you that now I am really passionate about telling the world about the horrors and raising money to thwart human trafficking. Did you know, Marco, if you took the record profits, not the average, but the record profits of Apple, General Motors, Nike, and Starbucks, combine those together, double that number, that would be the estimated annual revenue generated by human trafficking in the world right now. Wow. Really? Yeah. There have been probably two to 300 people enslaved since we started this podcast. And so it's a massive problem. It's not causing a civil war like it did in the US in the 1800s. It's not causing headlines like it did in the civil rights movement of the 1960s, but it is a civil right. It has been ripped away from you know tens of millions who have been enslaved, and it's happening right here on our watch. So I want to tell the world about this. I want to raise as much money as I can to thwart this evil. So you're begging the question of how does one accomplish such a monumental task? Well, I mean, just getting the word out. I mean, here's an example. You probably know Monique Holm. Monique is very influential in the uh, female commercial real estate investing space. I told her this about two months ago, just like I told you. And she informed me yesterday that she's dedicating 10% of her profits for the foreseeable future to fighting human trafficking. And she's donating those to a specific anti-trafficking organization in Haiti. And so if I can get a lot of people out there thinking that way, and a lot of people aware of how awful this is, I've accomplished part of my goal. And of course, I'm generating funds myself to donate toward this cause. That's great. In fact, based on that, I want to get more information from you after we finish this recording, or at least point me in the right direction. You bet. Kind of, <laughs> he got me kind of stunned on that. That's a big, big number. But just circling it back, you know, I'm thinking about some of the things I've heard you talk about in the past, and you talk about the secrets, and I say secrets in quotes, the secrets used by the super wealthy to attain and even maintain their wealth, and they even pass it along for generations, you know, something we call generational wealth. Can you maybe talk a little bit about that or share these so-called secrets? 
You know, a friend of mine who's in your area in Southern California said that if the American people knew how little real estate investors pay in taxes, there'd be another tax revolt. And this time it would be against us. There are about a dozen different great tax savings strategies that real estate investors can use. And so, I mean, the massive impact of saving, especially in the earliest years on taxes, on future wealth, Marco, you know this, is just huge. And so real estate investors and oil and gas investors, though I think it's much more speculative in nature, have these benefits that very few other realms share. And so you know, one of those is by directly investing in real estate. It's one thing to invest in a company that owns real estate and get a 1099, but your investors, Marco and mine, share the benefit of actually getting, for example, at least with us, a K-1, and they actually get the depreciation, all the write-offs, all the benefits, the opportunity to do a 1031 exchange or a 721 exchange and uh, roll that forward largely without income tax and capital gains tax. And that's the thing I love about real estate is, you know, even Robert Kiyosaki talks about this. The fact that if you become a so-called professional investor, that doesn't necessarily mean an institutional investor, but someone who is investing in passive investments in that investment quadrant, you could literally pay up to 0% tax. Done right, you can shield all your tax. And this is why the people that listen to our show listen to the show is because they realize that I can create wealth, I can create income, and I can defer or eliminate my tax impact from that income. It's a beautiful thing. And actually, one of Trump's latest tax, it wasn't actually a tax bill, but there was an impact to the tax law. Real estate has now become the most tax-favored investment class in the country. It used to be oil and gas because of the accelerated depreciation, but because of the bonus depreciation now available to us as real estate investors, Real estate has actually become the number one tax-favored asset class. I hadn't thought of that because I think oil and gas, you can write off something like 85% of the investment in the first year. But with bonus depreciation, you could potentially write off 100%, right? You could. Yeah, you could. It's 80% in the first year, but you could also do cost segregation. So you could literally tap it out at 100%. Yeah, you could. So cost segregation. So is that something that your investors get the benefit of sometimes, Marco? They're welcome to do that on their own. We can put them in touch with people who do cost segregation. In fact, I interviewed someone on the show about a year ago who does that. And so, sure, you could do it on a single family fourplex, a commercial real estate property. You could do it on virtually any type of real estate. Yeah. You know, I used to think that those, you know, the engineering cost seg study that costs, you know, what, $12,000 or more probably wouldn't work for a single family or a, you know, a fourplex or whatever. What I've learned from one of my tax strategists we work with is, there are simple studies that cost in the upper hundreds of dollars. And that makes a total sense for a $100,000 single family or duplex, you know? Yeah. And that's the service this guy provides is they do it on a smaller unit basis. So it's several hundred dollars. Or if you have a portfolio, they'll just do it across your entire portfolio. But it's no different than doing it with what you do on commercial real estate. It's the same concept. Yeah. So the goal would be to get cash in your mailbox and a negative number on your tax return, right? Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So let's talk about millennials for a second here, because I know it's something that I've heard you talk about. You had some very interesting charts about, you know, we hear a lot about these so-called echo boomers, what we know as millennials today. And we talk about it a lot. In fact, they're in the media, it seems like every single day without surprise, but they make up such a huge segment of our population. And 
I'm just wondering, in your opinion, how you think millennials are going to affect home ownership going forward? And maybe even the commercial space. I mean, just how are they going to affect real estate as a whole in the U.S. going forward? 11 years ago, the bursting of the last century's bubble. And that bubble was, for many people, we believed, and our parents and grandparents taught us, that home ownership, that home, your home is your greatest investment. Well, guess what? We found out that that's probably not true as they watched their parents, their uncles, their friends, and some of, their, some of themselves lost their homes in the Great Recession. And so the government, you know, in 1995 had told mortgage companies and they put their thumb down on them and they said, you need to make a loan to everybody who can fog a mirror, regardless of their income, regardless of their credit score. And so home ownership went from 63 or 4% up to 69.2% by 2005. Now, by, from 2005 to 2015, it dropped again down to the historic norm of about 63 or 64%, which is about where it's at today. Millennials look at home ownership and on average, they say, well, why do I want to be tied down to a seemingly overpriced home? a 30-year contract when I might get a better job, a better opportunity, or better friends across town or across the country next year. And so they largely are overburdened by student debt and other types of debt anyway. They don't have a huge propensity to save. And so they more likely than not are going to want to rent. And the way I see it, Marco, I'm guessing the next generation that's right behind them, Gen Z, is going to be about the same. Yeah, or larger. That might be even a larger demographic, right? Right. Are you on track to achieve your financial goals? Income-producing real estate is the most historically proven way to accumulate wealth and has created more financial freedom than any other means. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best turnkey cash flow rental properties. Our simple proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly income. Get your free strategy session with our knowledgeable investment counselors at noradarealestate.com. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com. Before we started recording here, we were talking about what you refer to as the three paths to passive real estate investing success. Let's talk about that because I think that could ultimately be the core of this episode. So why don't you break it down and I'll throw in my own comments and maybe add a fourth if I can think of one. Okay, great. So I talk to real estate investors every week who are banging their heads against the wall trying to find that next house to flip. And because of HGTV and so many other factors recently, it's very, very competitive and it's very hard to find that next house. It's very hard to, for them to find those duplexes on their own. They've got a full-time job or they're trying to enjoy retirement and they're trying to build this portfolio on the side and it's anything but passive. I talked to an oral surgeon in the Pacific Northwest a few weeks ago and he said, I was building a 20-home portfolio on the side to replace my income for when I retire and now I find myself between surgery appointments on the phone wondering where the painter is or trying to get or evict a tenant. This is driving me crazy and I've only got four homes. I'll never get to 20. I've got to go passive. Another guy I talked to in Fargo, North Dakota said, I have 325 units between small multifamily and single family and it is driving me insane. I went to the zoo the other day with my kids. I couldn't enjoy a minute of it. I was on the phone the whole time. Even though I've got a team of people to do this, I've got to find a way to go passive. 
And so whether they're small players or huge players like him, a lot of people have found that passive investing is a better option for them. And I ask a lot of people, why are you working harder than you need to, to make less than you could? Why don't you consider passive investing? And so I've come up with three different paths to passive investing success. And path number one, I call active passive investing. What is active passive investing? It sounds like a misnomer. Active passive investing is when I spend a lot of time vetting a syndicator. I know I want to find an expert. I know I want to find somebody else. I'm willing to give up control. I'm willing to give up all that risk, all that hassle, all those courthouse steps, visits where I come away without a house because somebody overbid. I'm willing to give up all that and trust somebody else. So the goal here, the active passive investor spends a ton of time vetting that operator. They say, I want to see your criminal background check, your references. I want to go out and talk to other investors. I want to go on site. I want to look in your eyes. I want to have a meal or two or three with you. I want to see how you treat the waiter or waitress. I want to check you out very thoroughly because I'm going to be giving you a lot of money and trusting you with potentially with my future retirement. So the active passive investor does all that to vet the syndicator, but they also are active in checking out every deal. That means they get to know the pro formas. They get to know the financials. They know how to check demographics. They know how to check income levels and crime scores. And they go out often and see these properties themselves. They stay involved in every deal. And every month they're looking at their statements and they're carefully analyzing it. That's what the active passive investor does. Now, most people don't have time for that. And most people don't know how to read all the numbers. And so the next group would be called the passive passive investor. Now, this group does the same exact amount of effort, the same amount of work up front to vet the sponsor or the syndicator. But then once they've got them vetted, they just give them money and they trust them with it. They don't have time to go visit every property. They don't have time to check the demographics and the crime scores. And they've seen hundreds of examples in these operators' track records that would say, I really, really trust these people. Now, before your audience screams at me and says, that's handing way too much control to them, realize you're doing this all the time. You know, your audience might not invest in the stock market, but if you invested with Berkshire Hathaway, you'd be trusting Warren and Charlie to make those decisions for you every day. You're not sitting in Warren Buffett's boardroom and analyzing every deal. You're not looking over Charlie's shoulder as he tries to negotiate with a company that they're getting ready to acquire. You're trusting them. And this is what I'm saying with the passive, passive real estate investor, you're trusting that operator with your money and trusting them to make the right decisions. The third path would be doing either the active passive or the passive passive through a crowdfunding site. There are sites and there are ways to now after the Jobs Act of 2013 that allow you to get access to all kinds of operator data, deal data through deal rooms, and you can actually learn so much through a crowdfunding site. And sometimes these crowdfunding opportunities allow non-accredited investors to invest, or they allow a smaller investment increment rather than fifty dollars or $100,000 that a lot of the bigger deals require. You might be able to invest five or even $10,000, and that allows you to spread your risk, dip your toe in the water, see if you like this person before you commit to a larger amount of money. So those are the three paths I've seen to passive 
real estate investment success. So the last one, would you refer to it as crowdfunding? Is that essentially what you're calling it? I would say it would be going down either of the first two paths through the crowdfunding portal. But I want to be really clear. If you do that, you can't trust the crowdfunder to do all the level of due diligence that you would want to do. You want to do your own due diligence and get to know the operator just like you would with the first two paths. So the second one, the passive-passive, is that where you would categorize what we do with the turnkey rentals? I mean, there's still a level of active involvement in the beginning until you close escrow, but then at, at some point, the properties are professionally managed with a full-service management company, and so you're just collecting the income and booking the activity. That would be considered a passive-passive? I would think of it this way. If I just, every time you roll out a deal, let's say, Marco, you were sending me deals and I had a lot of money available to invest, I would just basically glance at it and say, okay, here's a check. To me, that would be passive-passive. Active-passive would be, I want to go out and analyze every single deal. And I say yes to these two in Indianapolis and no to those two in Memphis, for example. Okay, got it. So the true syndicators of the world are going to fall under the active-passive investing model. I think that an investor could invest with a syndicator. I know there's a company we invest with and we look at every deal. And so we turned down a deal in Key West with them recently. We've already vetted the operator. We've already invested with them three or four times, but we turned down a deal in Key West. So that made us an active passive investor with them because even though we're not operating this deal, we said no to Key West, but yes to Greenville, South Carolina. So hurricane risk was involved there. Right, right, right. Yeah, very interesting. So, okay. Well, I've never heard it described that way. You know, for me, it's like you're an active real estate investor or a passive real estate investor. And then, you know, you've got active investments such as rehabbing. And then you've got passive investments, which you just put in your portfolio, collect income from. But what you've done is you've actually merged the two together and you've merged the methodology with the vehicle. And that's pretty clever, actually. They're all passive in this model here, but I'm trying to break it down to the subparts. I mean, because I have some investors who really want to be involved and they want to go out on due diligence with us. And I've got other ones that just send us a check every time we ask. That's where I came up with the difference. So speaking of syndications, you came from, correct me if I'm wrong, the multifamily syndication space. So you left that multifamily syndication business behind, and then you ended up creating two commercial real estate funds. First of all, why did you do that? And then second, what was the motivation behind doing that? So we've been banging our head up against the wall for about the last four years trying to find good deals, Marco. We've realized the large commercial real estate, large commercial multifamily area is highly overheated. And so we were thinking, okay, if we can't find good deals in this big space because we're competing with international investors, we're competing with REITs, we're competing with 1031 money, we're competing with IRA money, with newbies who are overpaying. We're competing with wolves in sheep's clothing who are intentionally overpaying to get a, make a buck off their investors. How are we going to do this? So we were looking for under the radar type things, maybe you know more mom and pop level opportunities. And we see these in family and small multifamily across the country. And of course, you know that better than anybody. And we also see these in self-storage, largely operated by mom and pop operators, but can be upgraded to an institutional level. And in that way, they can be sometimes sold to a REIT, operated at a higher level, and then sold to a REIT for a pretty significant profit. So we decided to expand our portfolio to add 
these two asset classes, and that's self-storage and mobile home parks to multifamily. And when we looked at it, Marco, we realized, you know, we've never done this. We saw on paper how to do it, but we're late in the cycle. And so it's not something we wanted to just take millions of dollars of investor money to practice with. So we decided it would be better for us to be an active passive investor with great world-class operators who have been doing this for decades. We figure we can make enough extra money because of their great asset acquisition pipelines and their great operations and their great ability to sell to a REIT. We can make enough extra to more than offset our fees. And that's what we're doing. We're giving investors access to these folks that they usually wouldn't have heard of otherwise. And we decided to do that through setting up two funds at Wellings Capital. So essentially, you're doing the due diligence. You're finding the people who are doing the heavy lifting in creating those deals. And essentially, you're, you're vetting the operators and finding the deals. And those deals are lucrative enough where you can make a spread to cover the fund's revenue or profit. Right. That's right. And we're also getting a better deal. Like, I mean, if we can bring a $2 million check to an operator, we can get a typically a nice, a much better deal than somebody bringing a $100,000 check. And by getting that better deal and giving that extra into the return, it's more than offsetting our fees in most cases. Love it. I love it. That's great. So let's kind of wind it down here. I want to ask you kind of an off the wall question. You know, I often get asked to coach other people and I'm sure you probably get, you know, asked questions about coaching or mentoring others and providing some value there. But give our audience some tips or advice when it comes to, you know, finding a mentor or seeking help beyond what's readily available out there. And how do you even know if you have a good mentor? So if you have any comments about that, I think it would be a good way to end this. Yeah, a great mentor should be able to teach as an educator, but also do as a practitioner. And they should be able to communicate those type of skills and activities to you. I think there's two great kind of mentors out there, and there may be more. But first of all, I would talk about an apprentice master type relationship. You know, 150 years ago in the US, if you wanted to be a blacksmith or do other things, of course, you would be maybe a 16 or 18 year old and you would go for seven years and work for a master. You watch them, they apprentice you. You don't get paid, but they might provide room and board and they would teach you their trade. So one way to find a great mentor is go out, find somebody in your area who is a great practitioner and say, hey, I'm not asking you, take them to coffee, you pay for the coffee and ask them, say, hey, is there anything I can do to serve you? Because I really want to learn the business. I don't need to make any money. I would love to help you out on nights and weekends. I know something about SEO or spreadsheets or deal analysis or whatever. Is there anything I can do for you for free to serve you so I can help you know, learn your business and so I can help you too? Now, before long, if you do this and do a fabulous job, you might get invited to do more or they may say, gosh, I feel bad. I, I can't keep not paying you. I'm going to start paying you. So they may start paying you or they might give you an opportunity to be a deal finder or a capital raiser or do something else and maybe eventually even partner on deals. So I think that is one great way to find a mentor. A second way would be the paid coach model. The paid coach model is what we're mostly familiar with. And that is you go out and find somebody who's a great coach, mentor, whatever you want to call it, and you say, I'll pay you. And you could pay them something like a few thousand dollars or up to even what I paid. I've paid two mentors over the years 
$25,000 each. And it dramatically accelerated my learning and got me into two different businesses over the years much, much more faster and effectively than I would have on my own. And so that's the second model. Okay. Interesting. That's great. I like the first model because if you can find the right person and provide value to them, what you learn through osmosis from being around them and learning their systems and you know their techniques and their style, there's just so much to be gained from that. And I think so many people overlook that and they just don't even try. But you should. I think that's a great way to, to grow as a person. You know, you have to get out of your comfort zone anyway to grow. So just do it. So in wrapping up, is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience before we kind of give out your contact info and, and whatnot? No, it's been really great to be here. And I, you know, Marco, you've got such a great reputation across the country. Hopefully your audience appreciates the value you're bringing to them because if investors could just get it out of their head that they have to have that thrill of chasing down the deal banging those hammers on a Saturday night at 9 p.m., and, you know, taking so much time to make so little money. If they can find someone like you to partner with and bring them deals that they can invest in passively, the money they'll make and the time they'll save is monumental. And, you know, I mean, I know you don't get the thrill of the hunt, but go find your thrill somewhere else. It's actually thrilling to get a large check in your mailbox, don't you think? <laughs> I would agree with that. Absolutely. And the truth can be said for you too. I mean, you're providing a valuable service that fills a, you know, a similar need and a niche in the business. So congratulations to you as well. Paul, please do our listeners a favor. Tell them how they can find you and get more information about you. Okay, great. They can go to our website. It's not Wellington Capital. It's called Wellings Capital. That's W-E-L-L-I-N-G-S Capital, C-A-P-I-T-A-L.com, wellingscapital.com. And I say that because lots of people think it's Wellington. And so I have to correct even my own investors, my own family sometimes, and tell them the right name of the fund. Okay. I'm glad you clarified that. <laughs> Paul, thank you so much for taking 30 minutes to come out and be on the show. Great information. We'll get this posted soon and we'll have to have you back one, one of these days. Okay. Thanks, Marco. Are you having a hard time finding great investment properties? Unfortunately, the best deals are rarely found locally. Successful investing begins with the right properties in the right markets. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best deals across the U.S. Our simple, proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly cash flow. Get your free copy of the ultimate guide to passive real estate investing at noradarealestate.com slash guide. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com slash guide. Nothing on this show should be considered specific personal or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate legal, tax, real estate, or business professional for individualized advice. For distribution or publication rights in media interviews, please contact the host.